I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Welcome to She Dynasty. We are back in New York, and today I'm lucky enough to be sitting down with yet another C-suite female executive, Sandra Campos, the CEO of the iconic brand Diane von Furstenberg, also known as DVF. This beloved brand was first launched with the well-known wrap dress that has stood the test of time. In her career, Sandra has been instrumental in launching brands like DKNY, Polo Jeans, and as well as her own venture with Selena Gomez. She was also the president of CBG, which owned brands like BB, BCBG, and Juicy Couture. I'm equally excited to introduce our co-host, Brianna Lance. Brianna is an influencer, creator, a painter, a designer, a stylist, and a musician. She began her career in fashion as a stylist and went in-house as a creative director for the cult favorite brand, Reformation. She then sat as creative director for a menswear line, Basic Rights. Brianna's vast fashion background and distinct eye enables her to succeed in any setting. She's also a contributing editor for So Goes It magazine. And if that's not enough, Brianna also has her hand in music, releasing a solo record. She has three solo shows in New York of her paintings and is currently working on print designs and a children's book. Hey, Brianna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So uh, when I was reading um, the list of everything you do, I was blown away. You are truly well-rounded. You have so much going on. I want to hear from your words how you describe what you do. I actually just had a conversation about that this morning on a shoot because we were talking. I was working and the photographer I was working with was saying that she also is like designing furniture and she creative directs and... We were saying we get kind of panicky when people ask us what our job is because it's so hard to like define. And so I was like, let's just say we're artists. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think this is an interesting trend that we're seeing is that, um, you know, with young creatives kind of coming up, people are not so pigeonholed into one medium anymore. And what I love about what you're doing is there's so much. There's art, there's um, design, there's, you know, music, and you're kind of integrating this all together into your world. And I think that's super powerful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's great because I think being creative is being creative and like whatever the output is, it's just about like expressing that sort of part of yourself. Well, not everyone looks at it that way. So I commend you for being able to handle it all. So I spent some time on your Instagram account and I just love your aesthetic, your passion for what you do. What is your advice for those who are kind of jumping in the game right now? How do you stand out? I mean, I feel like I have terrible advice to give to people because I don't even know what's going on <laughs> half the time. Um, I was, I think just being authentic is like what people are interested in. It's like whoever you really are is like expressing who you really are and not editing yourself too much. Beautiful. And I understand, um, as I mentioned earlier, you um, spent some time at Reformation. Tell us what makes that brand so beloved. I mean, I think, honestly, I was there for a long time, but when it first started, the whole point of it was to make clothes for women to feel sexy for themselves rather than how other people viewed them. And so I think that just that mission statement kept it really popular because it was just about like making women feel beautiful for themselves and not for other people. And I understand that you have a history of working with DVF. Actually, when we approached um, Sandra, you were the um, influencer that she recommended just because you guys have a history, which is so nice. So I want to hear a little bit about what you've done with DVF, your relationship with them and what that brand means to you. Well, actually, the first person I met at DVF was Sandra. But I have been consulting for TVF, which is a capsule collection done by Diane's granddaughter, Talita. 
And you also have styled for us. And styled, and I styled for DBF. Well, tell us, what are you hoping to learn from Sandra today? I know she's sitting right next to you. I mean, I have so much. We were talking about this earlier. It's just the idea that there's a lot of questions when you work with people that you want to know, but it's like you're in the structure of a meeting, so you don't get to ask, like, what's your history? How did you get to where you are? Like, um, you know, just like a lot about, like, the journey that people are on that brings them to the point where they are. So I'm excited to hear that. Okay, well, I have Sandra, the CEO of DVF, here sitting with us. So, hi, Sandra. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm excited that this that this is your first podcast. Um, it's been a trend that I've had a lot of C-suite executives um, sitting with me with their first podcast. So, welcome to the podcast. Great, this is the future. All right, so let's get started. So, Sandra, tell us, um, let's start with, how does it feel to be in charge of such an iconic global brand? Wow. Well, I actually decided to join DVF because obviously it is a very iconic brand, but she is not only a role model and an iconic individual from a fashion standpoint, but she's making so much change happen worldwide, and she has been for 45 years. So she's one of the last remaining iconic American designers that are actually still actively involved in their line. So I thought, how many more opportunities are you going to get to that? You know, there's no more Calvin involved. There's, you know, there's so many. Ralph is almost out of his company, and he's obviously retiring. So there's a lot of different designers who are no longer involved, Anna Karen as well. So I felt like it was really a perfect opportunity and time to be involved with Diane and DVF. It's obviously a great deal of responsibility for any brand in terms of a turnaround, but with a brand that has such a visible and such a strong brand associated with it and such a strong female associated with it is just that much more. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really, Brianna said something about authenticity just as it relates to influencers, but truly that's everything even leading a business and even being true to who you are in terms of what you've known, what you've learned, what your skills are, and being true to what Diane is, because this is Diane von Furstenberg, DVF. It's her brand. It's her line. It's her legacy. It's her company, and it's a family business. And so I'm everything that I do and everything that I work on every day is really about helping her maintain and create a long-lasting legend. Yeah, yeah you, we can, you know, the legacy that can go on. You just answered my next question, which was, in a sense, you're protecting and building her namesake and her legacy, which is a huge responsibility. Do you feel the weight of that? Uh, no, I don't really think about it that way. You know, she's been around for 45 years, so it's not something that she hasn't been extremely successful at already. And others who have built the brands at the time with her were also very successful. So I don't really feel the weight of it because I think there's just continued to be such an opportunity to tell a different type of story this time around and to do things a little differently because the time now, modern fashion and modern retail is just very different. So it's it's the third round and the third time for us to kind of recreate what DVF is about. Beautiful. So tell us what it's like to work side by side with Diane. Every day is literally, it's not even a challenge. It's it's such a fun day and it's such an amazing way to view things because um, actually when I was interviewing with her to before I joined DVF, one of the things that I just assumed was she'd been around for so long that she wouldn't be as modern or she wouldn't be as innovative. And that's why maybe the company had, you know, was in a position for turnaround. But at the end of the day, she is absolutely modern, absolutely innovative. She has more ideas that are relevant. I have yet to have one idea that comes out of her mouth that isn't completely relevant that we should be working on, but there's a lot of ideas. So every day, does she work <laughs> hard at staying busy. relevant or does it just come naturally to her? No, it comes naturally. I mean, she's really, you know, because of her, I think her visibility and her awareness level and and the fact that she's been the chairman of the CFDA and she's been so involved with other designers, she sees what's happening in all levels of all culture. And there's so many women and men alike, but but women in particular who look up to her at all levels from entrepreneurs who've started and launched businesses will come in and say to her, you know, I wouldn't have started my business without you and you inspired me and you know, literally from meeting Gloria Steinem down to Whitney Hurd to Jennifer Hyman, you know, Rent the Runway and Bumble, all these different women who are icons who are inspired by her and who are living their lives in parallel to what her mission is. 
and has been, which is really to empower women, inspire confidence, and to help women be the women that they want to be. Right. I've watched so many interviews um, with her, and she's obviously such a soulful person. Is there any um, kind of words of wisdom or one thing that she kind of has taught you that's really stuck through um, with you to help kind of in your leadership style? Well, I don't know so much about leadership style, but I think overall, and perhaps it's a little bit blending into that, um, overall, one of her key messages, she's always true to herself, but she says honesty. You know, it's everything has to be honest and say the negatives before somebody else does. I love that. If nothing comes to mind, it's fine, but I'm just going to ask. Um, any, um, do you have any anecdotes or stories about Diane that you could tell us really quick? Something that's happened that's memorable, a moment, something she said that was funny. I feel like there's so many. <laughs> I know, I but feel... is, is there one in particular that you could just give us a little sense of a moment with her in the office? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, she she lives in our building. So she actually lives on the top floor of our of our offices. And so she's very, very actively involved. And, of course, she can come down at any point in time and, and has access to coming down and she has ideas as I was mentioning she has lots of ideas every day so she'll come in and I do a lot of interviewing of people and I have people in my office and she'll come in she'll open the door and she'll look and she'll come she'll sit down and she'll look to them she'll say who are you and what are you here for (laughs) and of course I had this one person who was literally like stumbling for words because they were so shocked that she walked in in awe of her being there and it was actually Diane von Furstenberg and they just sat there and she couldn't speak this woman that I was meeting with and I was like okay so what is she here for (laughs) (laughs) so I said it but you know she's very very personable and she's very intimate and it's very it's very uh real you know very genuine in terms of everything so she doesn't really there's there's not a lot of filter there, I guess. What does it mean to you to be one of the few female CEOs of a world-renowned fashion brand? It's interesting because I I don't really even think of it in that way. But of course, you know, I, I've had a lot of commentary about it. I've had a lot of questions about it. And as I do think about it, I realize, you know, to me, it's like I've worked hard to be here and I've worked for a long time. So I feel like this is what I was always positioned to be, and this is what I worked for. Um, but the fact that obviously there are few women and female CEOs in an industry that is really predominantly female-oriented in terms of you know the majority of consumers are women, et cetera, but a lot of men run the companies. You know there is definitely a time and an opportunity, and obviously it's um, I'm very grateful for where I am. I I feel very fortunate for who I'm working with. But obviously, Diane, I feel very fortunate to be able to actually even have anyone say I'm a role model at all. Because to me, it's I've just worked really hard and I'm I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. I want to go into a little bit about your journey of how you got here. So we're going to start way, way back. Um, So let's start at the very, very beginning. So I understand ways, way, 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 way back. Um, Well, the interesting thing is you're born and raised in Los Angeles, as I was. So tell us about your childhood. What part of L.A. were you born in? Born, but not necessarily raised. Okay, that's right. Born in Hollywood, California. Like me. And uh, my parents actually are immigrants from Mexico. So they moved there for to pursue a better life for their family, their future family. And I was one of four that were actually born there. Um, we have six kids in our family, so four of us were actually born in California. But after the fourth, we moved. We actually moved to Mexico, Mexico City, for a bit. Um, and I went to my first years of pre, let's say, elementary school there, and then moved to Texas. So really, when I consider myself a Texan, so I I was raised and grew up and went to middle school. Um, late elementary, middle school, and high school in Texas. So what did your mother and father do for a living? My parents are both entrepreneurs, actually. So my father uh, moved to the States and started doing a lot of little odd jobs and was ultimately, he created Tortilla Factory. And my mother worked with him in the Tortilla Factory. She actually went to school in Mexico City thinking she, she went to medical school and thinking she was going to go down that path, but then moved to the States to be with him. And they had a Tortilla Factory for the majority of my childhood. Um, you know, along with other entrepreneurial ventures, my mother then went into real estate and she started investing in real estate. So she started owning properties and flipping homes and kind of managing homes as well, which she still does today in Texas. I mean, in my household, again, there were six kids. So it was always about education and we would get 
money, actually, for good grades. Nice. <laughs> we only got money for A's. <laughs> well, we'd get money for books that we read. We'd get money for, you know, grades that we received. And that's really what it was constantly motivation. But my mother was always, always attending some sort of educational uh, course or something. She went to a lot of courses in community college and was constantly getting more and more degrees because she's also very focused on her own education. So um, it was very important in my family. And ultimately, I have, out of the six of us, there were three that went to Stanford and Ivy League schools. And, wow. Uh, I have oh my gosh. two attorneys, one judge, um, a professor. Oh, my gosh. Your parents need to write a manual. <laughs> That's so it was very, Give very kids much money. education. <laughs> for grades, Give right? Give kids money for grades. <laughs> so was there an expectation from them that you had to get some big, powerful job when you grew up? No. There was absolutely not that. It was interesting because when I look at it now, um, you know, it just, it all worked. But all of the six kids left Texas. Sorry, Texas. But we, <laughs> we all left um, and pursued very different lives and very different careers. But no, there wasn't. And actually, I was the one that had and always had the interest in fashion and not was not as focused on academics as the rest of the family was. So I think they actually thought I was going to, I don't know what they thought I was going to do, but <laughs> I don't think they thought I would be where I am today. Um, so let's go back to the tortilla factory, because I understand that you have a little secret about some things that happened there. Well, <laughs> I feel really sorry for the people who bought the packages that I packed because in our tortilla factory, there were certain things that we could do at certain ages. And there were, you know, there's a lot of machinery. Obviously, it's very dangerous and hot machinery and hot equipment. So I couldn't do that when I was younger. But I did work at the assembly line, packing up the, the packages and taking the tortillas and counting them, putting them in packages and sealing them, putting them in the boxes, et cetera. But I always ate tortillas, and I still to this day eat one tortilla, at least one tortilla a day. It's in your blood. It's in my blood, um, but I would eat them. So I think if there were supposed to be 12, I might have done 10 or 11. <laughs> Oh and gosh. I was like eating. It's like that Lucille ball. I, I love Lucy where they were eating the chocolate. Oh Does gosh, your family still have the company? No. They no, sold it. They sold that years ago. Yeah. So should I be questioning my packages of tortillas <laughs> when I get them? They sold it. You're fine. <laughs> I'm just not sure I can ever open a package of tortillas again without thinking about some kid like sneaking one. It's true. It's true. That's awesome. So it seems like your parents came here um, with kind of the... The American dream, the American dream. and absolutely. they absolutely achieved it not only for themselves but for their children, which is like gives me chills. It's so amazing to hear and that grandchildren, and yes, I mean it is. It's amazing. I don't think we certainly didn't appreciate it growing up, but now looking at it and having my own children, it's it's amazing, a miracle. Uh, you know, it's incredible. It's sacrifices. They made a lot of sacrifices for all of us, but hopefully, we're we're paying it back. It seems like you are. So you mentioned you mentioned that religion played a part in setting your core values and your work ethic. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes. So now I'm getting <laughs> how much am I telling? Um, no. So actually, when my parents they immigrated from Mexico, they were Catholics and they were raised Catholic. And um, when they moved to California, they actually converted to becoming Mormon. And as Mormons, there's a lot of core values. You know, there's you don't drink alcohol, don't drink carbonated drinks. Um, no car carbonated drinks? No carbonated drinks. You know, smoking, you know, a lot of other things. So there's all those rules in terms of core values, but it was always about family first and then also about a lot of hard work. There's a lot of work. And I actually attribute a lot of my ability to speak publicly to being a part of the church because in the church there's no, like, priest who's giving sermons. You're actually, it's the community that's doing a lot and having a lot of the talks. So from a very early age, you're encouraged to get up and speak in front of a congregation. Interesting. So I do actually attribute that because so I have no problem speaking in front of people. How important is it um, for you to be able to speak um, in front of people in the role that you're in? Very important all the time. And I, I say this to everyone, no matter what. It's also, you know, you're selling throughout your entire career. Of course. You're always selling your ideas. You're selling, you know, you're selling your product. You're selling your ideas. You're selling anything. So it's always like selling and, and working with how you communicate to the audience that you have in front of you. So, yes, it's very important. Tell us, how has your Mexican heritage helped define who you are? Well, uh, this is an interesting part of my life because I think that having grown up in Texas at the time that I was raised in Texas, it was not as openly diverse as it is today. And so at that time, I, I, wasn't, I didn't actually really embrace my heritage. I actually shied away from it. 
Um, my parents would come pick me up from school, and I remember saying, don't speak, because I didn't want them speaking Spanish. And it was, you know, at the time, unfortunately, as I could say now, because I'm embarrassed of that fact, but the, I was embarrassed of it at the time. So it was just a different time in, in where I was wanting to fit in, whether it was the age or also just where I was in terms of where we lived in Texas and where we grew up as well, just trying to fit in more with others. So it didn't as much impact. I don't think the heritage itself impacted uh, where I am today from a from anything other than the fact that the core values always were there. Right. And, you know, family is very important. Of course. Uh, not only from, we were just talking about the religion aspect, but also in terms of cultural. So family has always been a big part of, of who I am and, and what's important to me in life. But um, I would say now I have children who have embraced the heritage. I love that. Absolutely embraced it. I have three teenagers, and they all have been taking Spanish classes, but they all in different ways at different times have been very intrigued and have actually done a lot more work. And my oldest is very focused on immigration reform Beautiful. in school. And she has, uh, you know, de- definitely considers herself to be more Latina than I think That's I do. It's amazing, too, because isn't I feel like it's like uh, over 40 percent of the population in Texas is actually like Mexican heritage. I'm sure they are. So have you had any strong female role models or mentors in your life that, that have helped guide you? Yes, Most definitely my mother, who is as strong as they come, no matter what, um, through all the obstacles in life, just kept going. And I think through all my obstacles in life, I just keep going. I I show up, I'm there, and no matter what, if I get down, I get right back up again. And that is something that my mother has taught me just by watching her as well. And uh, I would say my grandmother as well on my father's side because I see her and she's actually turning 99 this year. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Beautiful. Pretty amazing. But watching those women has been incredibly inspiring to me because it was a different generation, but they had so many more sacrifices. And the fact that, you know, they moved to a new country and developed a life that was completely new to them. I don't know if I would do that myself. You know, it's a hard thing to do. So that's that's definitely one thing. And then from a business standpoint, there is no better mentor than Diane herself right now. So I'm very lucky to have that now in, in everything from a personal relationship perspective as well as a business and, and just looking at the word more broadly from a philanthropic perspective as well. Was your interest first in business or fashion? Business. But I was always making clothes for my family and um our sofas were recovered like once a year because I created, <laughs> I made like slip covers and drapes. And, you know, my, my sisters were my guinea pigs because I would make clothes and whatever I thought the trend was at the moment or whatever I wanted to do by the scraps of fabric I would get and I would make things for them. But so that's, that's kind of a spark of a clue to your future. Yes. Well, I definitely had, I mean, my in going to school, I definitely had uh you know, college courses on in fashion, but Lubbock, Texas is not exactly the fashion Mecca. No. <laughs> but the fire, the spark was within you. And so you found it. Yes. So Yes. But I did my first internship that I had was actually pattern making. I oh. took a pattern making internship and I absolutely said, this is not for me. I can't stand on my feet all day working on these patterns. And it's very, very hard. Right. Pattern making is very hard. So that was definitely where I said, you know, what? I think I'll go into the business side. Any sparks in your teen years that were clues that someday you would be such a successful businesswoman? <sighs> I, everything that I did was always about, I, you know, I held a bar to myself that was, or for myself that was about achieving more and being a leader and always. So whether it was being head cheerleader, it was whether leading organizations in school, whether it was, you know, in my sorority, being one of the VPs of the sorority and being one of the leaders there. I always wanted to be leading and I always made sure that I kept raising my own bar in terms of success, that I, the way that I defined success. And it was more about what I could do and how much influence I could have and how much of a difference I could make. So I think that those were clues all the way around. Right. So even when like you were in elementary school, like you always wanted to like lead the group or be in charge when you were given a project, like would you define yourself as a child that always wanted to be in charge? Not then, but I would say for sure starting in middle school. Interesting. So sometimes you can start off as a kind of a shyer, quieter kid, and it can kind of develop as you're as you get older. Yes. Okay. Good to hear. 
So obviously um, you were influenced by your parents' kind of entrepreneurial spirit, just watching them, um, you know, run a business. Do you feel like that's played a big part in your kind of ambition and drive? Absolutely. I always have lots of ideas of different businesses and want to be involved in everything. So um, outside of my own, I've had a lot of corporate experience, but I also had my own businesses for a time as well. So I've had both entrepreneurial and corporate experiences. And I think that has also been incredibly helpful to me in terms of where I am today because being an entrepreneur you do everything you're involved in everything what was like your first um, job that you remember like paid job that you remember like I got a job every summer I had jobs but unfortunately the one that sticks out in my mind that was my first job I was working at Whitewater it's basic I don't know if it's still around or not but it's like a wet and wild type of park but it was called Whitewater and I was, you get, you got to the first day and you basically, I don't know if I came late or what happened or how I got this, but I, it's almost like you had to draw straws for what job you were getting and what department you got in. And I worked in the sanitation department. Oh. So if you can imagine the heat of Texas during a summer you when you're in trash? high school, I was picking up garbage. <gasps> yeah, but like, oh my God. I had friends that were working in the ice cream shop, in air conditioning, and I was out in the sun in the heat, you know, humbling moments. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, but I think, we, I think we need to stop for a second and just make, um, you know, the comparison that you started picking up trash and now you're CEO of a global <laughs> fashion brand. So there is hope for everybody in the world after it's that true. story. It's true. I that love is it. the one that stands out. That's for sure. I love it. All right. So um, after college, you moved to New York to be in fashion. And New York is a tough place, obviously, to make ends meet. How did you do it in the beginning? I had three jobs. I had For three real? Jobs. Like really? No, absolutely. What I three had, jobs did I you have? I had three jobs. I had a job. So I moved to New York actually to work for a company at the time called J.G. Hook. And it was um, a, a brand that was a classic traditional brand. And it was sold in department stores and specialty stores around. And I did that during the day. So I started out in sales. And I was telling this story last night because I think it's actually quite funny. But I moved to New York and I had a very thick southern draw. I was very southern in and I moved to New York, and I was working for a man whose name was Arthur Least, and Arthur was from Brooklyn. Okay. So I couldn't understand Arthur, and he couldn't understand me. So for the first year, he sat next to me, literally made me sit next to him, and he would say, enunciate your words, enunciate your words. So after the first year, I came back to Texas, and my friends were like, who are you? <laughs> so I worked in sales during the day, and then I went to a retail store, and I worked retail at nights. So I would have a job from six to nine, and then I worked weekends also um, at a retail store. So the good news about that is that everything was still in the same field. Everything was still in fashion. I was able to go and work in the buying office as well. So I was able to understand more of that. I was on the sales floor. And so I had my whole retail training for the first three years working as well with wholesale. So I had a good combination of things and then was able to get into the buying office from there. But think about how important that is now in the role that you're in, that you got to experience being a salesperson on the retail floor and, you know, understanding the mindset of what a customer has to go through when they walk in and they choose clothes. And, you know, just having that experience probably makes you so much more powerful in your job today. Do you agree? I had absolutely. And I had so many experiences. But, you know, at the time it was really because I had to. I moved to New York making $17,500 a year. That oh, was my salary. That was your first job. That was my first job. I mean, it's, it's like I don't even know that's how even a salary. That was <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like It was crazy. actually a while ago, but still. <laughs> okay. So um, soon after you found your way to companies like Polo Jeans and DKNY and you helped launch these brands. Um, tell us a bit about your time doing that. So I, I've been really lucky. I, you know, at the time when you're going through things, you don't ever really know what's going to come out of anything. But I was fortunate enough to be able to be in companies like Donna Karen when we were launching DKNY. And I had a great, amazing group of women that I worked with. And it was a family. It was girls that were, a lot of them were New York girls. And I was quite intimidated being the Southern Texas girl, but I was very serious and focused and they kind of laugh at me still now because I was always the one that they'd come in talking about the weekend or their date the night before. And I was like, I'd come in, sit down, get to work <laughs> right away. So I was always super determined But that group of women at DKNY actually have all been incredibly successful in their careers in, in fashion as well. So do you keep in touch been, with them? Uh, we do. Nice. We do. And of course now with social media, it's really easy to keep of in course. touch with people as of well. Course. But there was a great group of girls there and I was, you know, I was very lucky to learn about product and brand and, 
having the power from a brand standpoint because Donna at the time did and there it's a very different world now and there wasn't nearly as much competition there there were a lot more retailers than there are today as well mm-hmm. so you know the same thing then applied and happened when I was able to go to Polo Jeans Company under Mindy Grossman who I find to be one of the best leaders out there and one of the best CEOs that exists and she's at I guess WW now which was Weight Watchers and she was leading us with Polo Jeans we had men's and women's and I was overseeing the women's side and also launching businesses. So I ended up getting, I don't want to say pigeonholed, but I was able to be into in companies and situations where we were either launching businesses or relaunching businesses. So I had a lot of experience and exposure to a broad variety of things. And with startups and smaller businesses, you, again, have your hands in everything so you can learn so much more. Prior to being a CEO, obviously, and post being a buyer, what were some of your positions within the company? I'm always very sales focused. So I was heading up sales and then it became, you know, planning and then it was visual merchandising and then it was adding merchandising and then it was adding design. So everything kind of kept getting layered on afterward. But at the time in the industry, it was very much about sales and and the business side was about sales because there were a lot more retailers and you were focused on that. And so it really wasn't until I had my own business later that I actually had marketing exposure because it was very much on the sales and the planning and the product side beforehand. And then when I partnered with my business partner, Tony Melillo, in 2009, we created a company called Sinisure Holdings, and we actually launched a business for Selena Gomez. She was 15 years old at the time. We, I knew because I had three children who were watching Disney, so I was watching Disney every night. So I knew Selena from Disney, and we approached CAA. We approached her. Um, she was the one that we felt was going to have a long-term career, and we had a business with her for five years. It was at actually we went to Kmart, and we had an exclusive partnership with Kmart for five years. So you just approached and her and said, so "I want to be your business partner." Well, it wasn't as easy as that, but you know, we went to CAA, who was representing her at the time, right. Creative Artist Agency, right. and. and Hollywood. And we we went to them and basically said, here's what we want to do. Um, Tony was very good friends with one of the founders. And we went and approached him about a business that we wanted to start. And he said, who do you want? And we said, we want Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato. And that's where we started. And we met with both of them and we spent time with them. And the first thing that uh, that connected me to Selena is she was also from Grand Prairie, Texas, oh, which wow. is where I'm from. Nice. And her mother grew up in Grand Prairie, Texas, again, which is where I'm from. So it was, there was definitely some connection so there. Yeah. And so that's how we got started. But she was 15 when we first approached her. And then, you know, obviously we went through all those years developing a line with her. That was a very teen-focused line, but we had licensees. And right. so I was working on the marketing angle and looking you know, there was there was really no Instagram at the time. There was barely Facebook. She didn't even have a million followers on Facebook at the time. So this was wow. like back before you know the explosion of social media. Right. So all the all the e-commerce was really kind of starting to take off, and celebrity brands were starting at that time. So it was a great time for learning. That seems like quite a big shift from you know being in kind of the more corporate environments to you know again going back to your entrepreneurial kind of spirit and roots. Um, tell us, was it something that was kind of just burning inside of you that you felt like you had to depart from that and go start your own thing? I had three kids under the age of four and I was getting divorced. So in part it was survival because I didn't want to keep traveling multiple days a week with three young kids and I needed to be there for them and I had custody. So uh, it part it was survival in terms of like, you know what, let me create the life that I want and I need right now for my family. So it gave you the flexibility you needed to be successful as a mom and in business. Absolutely. But the thing that I love the most about those six years, you know, because I love Tony as well, but the thing that I love the most is that I was able to learn so much and meet so many people. And I was always out there hustling and meeting, whether it was new licensing partners or new retail partners and learning. It was just constantly like learning and finding different partners who would come to us with different things. So it was, it was a great, great, great experience. Was that scary, leaving something that seemed more stable for something more unknown? Yes, of course, because especially at the time, there was she was competing. We were competing with Miley Cyrus, who had a big deal at the time with right. Walmart. Right, right, right. So, you know, and also I would say anyone that we approached to take on was very concerned that, you know, what happens if she becomes a drug addict? What happens if she, yeah. you know, gets pregnant? What happens if she does any, you know, if she has any missteps herself, then it's it's really bad news. So, of course, there was risk in everything that we did. But, you know, we really believed in it. 
and we had a vision, so we just kept moving forward. It's always risky when you partner with a celebrity because, again, one one move, one bad move, and it can all come crumbling down. But obviously, you had a lot of faith in her and what she stood we for. We did, and her family, who was managing her at the time. Perfect. So. Did you hit any significant kind of snags or stumbles while you were working on that project? Anything significant that comes to mind? Well, the only thing is <laughs> we tried to keep it going. When she was 21, she actually changed she was not under CA any longer. She moved to William Morris, and then her, she changed her management from her family to another company, uh, Brillstein. And so the, the business changed, and the business shifted. And it was something that while we wanted to continue and, and kind of elevate and evolve her from being a team brand to a more adult-oriented brand, it wasn't the direction that they wanted to go. So then it was pivoting again and you know, identifying where the opportunity was. So I happened to have had a couple of licensees for Selena that were in a company called Global Brands Group, which is a big, it was at the time, $4 billion company that had lots of different brands and lots of different divisions. And uh, that's where I ended up going right after that. How different was it to launch a brand before the influencer craze and now after? You know, it was a simpler time. <laughs> I, yeah, it, I would say everything is just so different now. You... Yeah. You know, the microscope is there now more than it ever was before. You know, before names mattered, you know, brands, fashion brands mattered. Now influencer names matter. And there's a lot of noise that you have to cut through to be able to just get someone to pay attention. Right before this, the, the brands that I was responsible for, for sure, Juicy Couture was one of them. And it was absolutely, what could I do to to bring more relevance and get right. the right people wearing it? You know, whether it was Lady Gaga wearing it right. or whether, you know, whoever it was, like we wanted to make sure that that so, was very important. So that's an instance where it was more important who was wearing absolutely. it. Absolutely. Interesting. Yes. What a shift. But I also, have you seen a big difference in buying trend? Yes, <laughs> I think we all have. And, you know, it's definitely where Instagram now plays a role in everything. And now you can shop straight from Instagram. That's, you know, I think that's changed everything that we do and everything that we focus on. Because as even from a design standpoint, you're looking to create product that can be photographed and looks good in a photograph. You know, so it's no longer just about creating simple beautiful product I mean there's that of course will always be there but it's also how is it going to look in a photo right it seems like entrepreneurship is obviously on the rise with the younger generation and you know brands new fashion brands are popping up every day so tell us um, how does that play into obviously you have an iconic brand and it's hard to you know to even touch that but it must be hard to compete with all these brands that are popping up just to get people's attention how do you deal with that so I, I absolutely agree it is, and I think that there's a little bit of a difference between what the level of importance is. Not not that there's influencers aren't important everywhere because they are, but in terms of what retail what what retail does in the U.S. versus what it does in Europe and what it does overseas in, in Asia as well. So I would say that specifically, you know, first of all, I think it's amazing that people can be entrepreneurs and can start their own businesses. I would have loved that <laughs> in my 20s or 30s or, you know, and everything else that that people can do today because there's so much more access. You know, Shopify makes everything easy. Right. You can set up your own blog easily. There's a lot of things that you have access and, and things are easier now than they ever were. So I think that's amazing. And, you know, people definitely have lots of ideas and, and it's all about convenience and what you can do to simplify. From my standpoint right now where I am with this current brand, it is we're never going to be the flavor of the month. Right. That's not what we're looking to do. So whereas a lot of other brands will try to compete and have to think about who else it is, you know, for years, every there's a lot of brands, Reformation included, who have knocked off DVF and Diane's wrap dress. You know, there was no wrap dress before Diane right, first right, right. And now you can look and see everyone has a wrap dress. But what makes it different? What makes ours so special? So we have to really focus. We're really, really taking a step back and focusing on making sure that we know who we are, what we stand for. You guys are the for. original. And so the original. You, you have an advantage because of that. You kind of have planted your stake in the ground. And mm -hmm. I think there are certain brands that are really lucky that they have that legacy, you know, to build off of just because so many of the brands that pop up and, you know, can't stay around for very long because there's so much competition. There is a lot of competition. There's a lot of brands that are doing two, five, ten million dollars of business and all that's great. But it's when you start to go in a different, different direction, trying to do more volume that then you have to appeal to some of the demands from the retailers right. and you have to do things that aren't necessarily staying on brand. But, you know, 
again, DVF is such an iconic heritage brand. I don't think anybody ever goes and asks Hermes if they're on trend, if they have the right trend product. Right, right. You know, that's that's kind of what I equate it to. Or even, you know, while Chanel is always going to be Chanel and Hermes is always going to be Chanel, uh, Hermes rather, I think DVF should always be DVF. So that's what we're really focusing on from a business standpoint. I also kind of worry just with so much entrepreneurship kind of um, kind of popping up and, you know, the sheer saturation and volume of brands that are active in the social space. Do you think that maybe eventually we'll see a shift back to people caring more about established, more corporate legacy brands just because it's just oversaturated with too many just kind of pop-up brands? What do you think, Brianna? Well, I just think survival of brands is... I think there's one thing to get attention and be a new brand. I think a brand surviving depends a lot on not just the product that you're making, but also like the infrastructure you have business-wise and the people you have helping plan out the business strategy of it and the marketing strategy of it and things like that. So just based on that, a company like DVF has more longevity potential just based on the fact that it has like this powerful infrastructure like pushing it ahead. Yeah, and what we're doing, one of the big things that I'm bringing the company focus on is this is not just about us selling product and selling a wrap dress or two. It's about what Diane stands for and how we can actually create a community and build a community of female-led, female-owned, female-founded brands that we can actually provide a platform for and help them have exposure and help them grow. And, you know, as many, as I was just saying earlier, many, many women will come in and say, if it weren't for Diane, I wouldn't have started my business or Diane inspired me to start my business. And I'm like, great, how can we help you? And that's what we're trying to do right now. Like we have collaborations and bringing others in. And so, yes, we have the ability to do that. And because we have that, we want to give back as well. Yeah. And I think the folks, well, I think the focus is right. It's interesting. I have a couple of wrap dresses and when I put on, um, my DVF dresses. I don't feel like I'm putting on a dress of a brand. I'm put, I feel like I'm putting on the voice of Diane, which is a very different feeling than just putting on an article of clothing because she stands for so much and she's, you know, so her voice is so strong of what she stands for. So I think a lot of people feel that way. Like when you put on her clothes, it means something because of what she's been through, what she's been able to accomplish. And that is something that nobody can ever take away. You know, I hear that all the time from women. I do. I hear that a lot. And it's, uh, I keep saying is if I could just bottle that up. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you don't, I mean, I think it's happening whether you realize or not. I mean, I don't know if you guys, I mean, this is the conversation I have with everyone. When you put on a DVF dress, it's, it transcends putting on an article of clothing. It stands for something so much more powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, yeah, that's I think you broke it down for me once where you were talking about the idea of dressing powerful women or women maybe in a position of business, but rather than sort of this one aspect people have of it as being very workwear oriented. It's yep. something feminine. It's something colorful. It's something a little bit more bold which I think is kind of what Diane is, that sort of like sexy, feminine, powerful sort of thing. And I think the idea of giving that to women who are professionals is like an amazing thing to be able to do because not many companies are doing that. For sure. Well, and it's professional at any age Mm -hmm. because you can be 25, you can be 55. It doesn't really matter. It's professional at any age where you want to be appropriately dressed and you have, you know, an event to go to or there's some sort of occasion that you're dressing for or you're, you know, a philanthropist or a PTA mom or whatever it is that you're doing and however you aspire to be successful, I think for sure DVF is is the brand that's trying to make sure that we bring that all together. Well, she also has this interesting power. Like, I feel like the older she gets, like you said earlier, like there's just nothing that feels old or stodgy about her brand. It just continually feels fresh. You know, I think it just has some staying power. That's pretty amazing. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's my perspective. My job is done, though. (laughs) Well, I also think that might be sort of like the era in which she started it, too. It was like very sexy, very sort of like wild, like time. But she's just, and so I think she gets more beautiful as she gets older. Like, I don't know. Everybody needs to age like her. Dodgy time to sort of like start a company anyway. But I think it sort of like keeps that. For sure. Spirit. And people are really going for practical dressing now. You know, fashion's always impacted by what's happening in culture and politically. And right now, everybody is just wanting, like, safe clothes that's practical, that's easy, that's effortless. And, you know, this is a go-to brand for that, for sure. Okay, so let's move on. So after your Selena Gomez, um, you moved to GBG, correct? Yes. Okay, and there you were president of six global women's contemporary brands that 
um, you oversaw over $500 million in revenue. Is that correct? Yes. So I started out with Juicy Couture. That's where I actually went to GBG to run the Juicy Couture business. And that was one where I was like, hmm, Juicy Couture, can we bring that back again? Is that something? Of course, we've all had a Juicy Couture story. There's a lot of people that have that story about, you know, their first tracksuit, et cetera. So I I did that and I started there for that and then um, was able to also add to that portfolio various brands from BB, which is really now predominantly an e-com brand right. and really had BCBG and um, Hervé Leger and a couple of other brands there, right. but it was about having the e-commerce, the retail, the wholesale, the international experience, which was really, really great. I loved my time there because there was so much learning that happened. I was able to go to places I hadn't been before, like Saudi Arabia, right. where we had Juicy Couture stores, believe it or not. Crazy. <laughs> so how did, how did this experience um, lead you, you know, how did you make the shift to Diane? So one of the businesses, one of the brands that I was mentioning, BB, I had a creative director that I brought in whose name was Nathan Jenden. And Nathan came in as a creative director for BB, and I really loved him. And he and I became not only friends, but obviously professionally, we worked well together. And he had been Diane's creative director for 10 years during her second run, which she calls the comeback kid. Uh, 20 years ago when they relaunched the brand and for 10 years he was that creative director who who was there during the successful times to help that brand you know take it from where it was a two million dollar business to several hundred million dollar business and he was working with me and he kept he was very much keeping in touch with Diane because they were very very close and he kept saying to me oh you need to meet her you need to meet her you need to meet her and finally uh, in December of what year was that I guess 2017 maybe he came to me and he said you know um at the time, there was another creative director at DVF, and he left. And after he exited, Nathan said, I have an opportunity to go back. And I said, you need to take it. It's a great opportunity. And so he did. And then when he did, he kept saying, you need to come meet her, meet her, meet her. So he did, and he made the – so I did, rather. And he made the connection. I went and I met her. And we had – many meetings after that but the fact that I think Nathan and I had worked well together beforehand and the fact that we had that connection also helped of course both me going to meet her because right. I kept kind of avoiding did you know what you were going to meet her for no I had no idea it was just I mean, just to meet her to see where the conversation he never led. said anything to me and I mean, I would you ever like, imagine okay. it would be to, to be the CEO of the brand at the first meeting no and then after that, obviously, I got a clue because she, <laughs> she was talking about various aspects of the business and where I needed to go. So, no, I mean, it was really just to, you know, the time again, I wanted, I was like, okay, why not? You know, she's an American, iconic American designer. Right. How many times do you get a good chance to meet that type of a person? Of so I did, and I met her, and it was a very easy connection. She's obviously very easy to be able to connect with as well, but it was an easy connection for me. And then we just kept having conversations, conversations until... So how does the topic come up of becoming CEO of the brand? Just like in conversation, like, hey, how do you feel about maybe running my company? Is it just a casual thing? Kind Is of it like formal? that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a big deal. How, how, does, how does that happen? I just, I think people want to hear how that kind of comes up in conversation. Uh, you know... In this specific conversation, it wasn't a typical interview. And the times that I would meet with her and also the members of the board that I met with before, it was not a typical type of interview process. It's a family-run business. Right. It's her business. Right. It's her name. So it was much more about making sure that she felt the connection and it was more of a personal relationship as well as obviously having the professional skills to, to come on board because she'd had been gone through several CEOs and several creative directors before. So I think it, it was much more about let's let's get to know each other. And when you were um, president at GBG, did you um, was your goal to become a CEO of a brand? Sure. My goal was that when I was... 12 years old. Beautiful. <laughs> so you knew from a very young age. I was age. like one of my questions is if you always wanted to be like, or if you're like course veered, but it sounds like you were pretty like driven for... Like you knew you were going to be at the top. There was no stopping you. You knew that you were going to get there. Uh, I. It was certainly on my to-do list. I love it. It's amazing. It's really cool. Well, I don't know, but I was definitely one of those people that knew. I mean, I was very goal oriented. Like this is what I'm going to be and this is what I, you know, this is where I want to, what I want to achieve by X age and by... You know, that's, right. that's kind of how I measured myself. Beautiful. I don't necessarily well, interesting. suggest that. But no, but it's <laughs> great. I feel like that's like exactly who you want to be if you're like running a company because you want to do the same thing for the company. 
You know what I mean? You want to be goal oriented yes. and have like achievements. And it's like to have that in your personal life. It's like amazing because I it's such a different part of the brain than what I work with that I'm always like fascinated by people who are like really like driven by business and good at business because yeah. it's like I'm really jealous of it. Oh, well, I work. Well, we're jealous time. of people yeah. like you. So. <laughs> exactly. Right. We're That's all, good, exactly we're all right. good at something. Well, I want to dance like you. <laughs> you uh, it's easy. I can teach you. <laughs> <It's easy. laughs> That's hilarious. We all think what each other does is easy, right? A next point that you made is you said that you, you know, lifestyle and you love to work out. And it's always like the busiest people in the world that you meet that find the time, no matter what it is, to go work out. And I will tell you that almost every woman who sat in this chair that's a C-suite executive is like perfectly fit, great, you know, great physique. It's really awesome and inspiring that you find the time to take care of yourself with a, a job as demanding as, as you have. It's what gives me the energy. I, I was about to say, I feel like it's also like a way to manage stress because it's, it's like an insanely it's, stressful job to be easy, in charge. But it's easy to make an excuse not to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's easy to just, you get so bogged down with so much demand it's easy to just kind of blow it off but it is there is no question that everyone makes this a priority so it's it's also really inspiring well I love it I do love it so that's at least there's other things I don't love but I that I do love <laughs> but I think it's also like it sounds like it's part of your personality though that like driven motivated sort of personality it's like of course What's I your, love to wake up early. Yeah. I love to do. I love to do exercise first thing in the morning. So I generally try to do six a.m. or six thirty classes, and then I I do reading and I try to like catch up on things that are happening. So you do a lot to kind of make sure that you focus on yourself and your your own personal um, health. I do. It's yeah. important. I I I didn't think I did, but I'm I'm thinking about it. And yes, I do. <laughs> well, I also feel like even just at the stage that your kids are at, it's like a little bit easier yes, now. Absolutely, absolutely. I would not have been able to do that when they were young, for sure. You have much less time when they're young, and I look at my photos back, you know, when they were young, and I was tired. I looked tired because it's like three. And how how far apart are they in age? If you don't mind me asking, um, I have my first and my second are two years apart, and then my second and third are fifteen months. So you had like so many small children. I had so many small children. As a single mom. Yes. As a single mom. Running companies. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's awesome. And then leaving. But you just do. You, you just know, do, you it. do it. You just do it. I get it. You don't question it. You just do it. So interesting enough, when I asked you in my pre-interview about some of the snags, you responded by saying, you never see snags as obstacles. Tell us why. Maybe because I have so many of them. I <laughs> It's just part of life. It's just part of the job. You know, it's part of the job. It's part of life. You know, we're in an industry in particular that always has ups and downs. And no brand ever stays on top for too long. So you have to expect and anticipate the downsides and the days that, and especially being an entrepreneur, you it's a roller coaster ride. But the snags so. are what make you better. Also, if you if it's always good, you never kind of push forward or propel forward because you don't have those like learning moments on how to get better. Do you agree with that? Yes, you just don't necessarily know that at the time. Right, exactly. But when looking back, it's always the of case. course. Can you think of one significant snag in your entire career that propelled you forward in a big way? Whether you know you were laid off or somebody talked down to you or anything you can think of? Well, I think, you know, the things that come to mind for sure that propelled me forward, uh, it just choices that I had to make. So in the case that I was mentioning Selena Gomez earlier and we went out and we were raising money for her and, and they decided not to go forward with that brand. So then it was like we had to pivot. So I think the pivoting is probably, you know, if I had to say, like, what were the snags? I mean, that was a snag. We wanted to keep going with that brand. We wanted to keep doing things. So then it was like, okay, well, now what? There's right? always a and time where things going? things are working and then they start not to work and you have to kind of shift course. Sure. So that can be considered a snag, but it's what you do with it that matters. It's how you change course and how quickly you react that matters, right? And having a backup plan in a way, too. Yeah. Because that does always make a difference. I think you have to have that. Uh, I tell my kids this all the time, but you do have to have a backup plan. That was actually one of my biggest learning lessons from you was like um, having like a call where you're like, okay, these are all the potential problems we could have. Like you have to like be aware and know about like every single thing that could possibly go wrong and like being aware of that going forward and being like, okay, can you like stand behind that? Are you like, it was like a huge learning lesson that's, for me. That's awesome. It was like I, really I interesting. I lead that way too with my company. I always like to think of all the worst possible things that can happen and anticipate them. So when they happen, I'm not shocked and I'm not scrambling to come up with a solution. It sounds like maybe you do the same thing. 
Well, I think I've been around enough that (laughs) I have experienced enough of those mistakes or problems that I can anticipate them now and, and hopefully try to help and guide people who have not yet experienced those so that they can anticipate them and and try to find the solutions. You know, it's always about finding solutions to problems because there's always problems and there will always be problems. Yeah, but I think... It's about how quickly you find those solutions. That lesson of just being like, do it before it even happens, like be aware of it before it happens, I thought was like, it was so, it like kind of blew my mind where I was like, oh yeah, right. (laughs) That's a really good takeaway. I think more people should think about that. Yeah. (laughs) So you're a mother to three kids. Um, tell us what role they've played in defining your success. I have become better organized because, again, I've had to. I have definitely become more empathetic because I've had to. And I think as a mom, you're able to look at things differently when you're leading and you have a team and you have, you know, now I've got a whole generation that's a millennial generation and, and soon to be Gen Z that's coming into the workforce. Right, right. And I definitely have a different role with them than I did when I was leading in my 30s. Right. So when I didn't have as much experience nurturing, it was different than I do have now. You know, can I, I can look at these kids and I can look and say, you know what, I want them to have the experience that I had. I want them to be able to experience a great community, having great friends, but also be building something and finding success in building something and success in the results and achieving those results. So I'm able to look at things differently. And I think that is because I am a mom and because I've seen, you know, what that means to individuals that are not, you know, outside of myself. Yeah, well, you're very driven and obviously successful. Do you f- ever feel like your own personal goals um, are expected of them? Because that's something I kind of struggle with because I'm also super driven and goal-oriented. And, you know, one of my kids isn't quite like me. And so, you know, at a certain point, I've, like, had to, like, had a lot of conversations, take a deep breath and just be like, she looks at things a different way. It's okay. Do you feel like you struggle with that at all? All the time. <laughs> That's a real if, thing. If right? you're asking my three children, they'd say, "Oh, here we go." Yes, uh, uh, absolutely, of course. And I, uh, uh, yes, and I think that that is definitely part of being driven. But I've had to. Hopefully, I'm learning all the time, um, and hopefully, I'm a little bit better about it. But I, I would say that my kids would probably say I'm not better about it. That I hold them at a very high level of expectations on education, on what they do, on on how they focus on things. Do and you ever the time feel like you spend. have to kind of pull back because you feel like you're p- applying too much pressure? You know, I have three very, very different kids. Two of them, I would say, apply much more pressure on themselves than I need to apply on them. Another one I've applied much more pressure on, my son. So I've had to kind of find myself pulling back. And that's been a big learning lesson for me because, you know, he's just a different person. And to what you just said before, it's like I've had to realize, like, and he's worked really hard for where he is now. But I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And you know, I'm still pushing to this day. I'm like, what happened to squash? Why did you quit squash? <laughs> Go back to squash. Right. He's like, I'm not going to play college squash, mom. <laughs> That's what I mean, do you feel like it's hard to be a quote unquote good mom? Oh. You have no idea. For years, I would go to sleep and literally feel like a, such a failure as a mom. Every night I'd be like, I was a terrible mom. I was this. I wasn't there for that or whatever. And um, I think, you know, I did a, I did as good of a job as I could do obviously, and I think hopefully everybody does what they can and feels good enough because at sometimes it is kind of just good enough. But there have been some definitely, there's some definite moments that have been wake-up calls where I've had to realize that I do still have to be there for them and they do still need me. Like I would actually, I love babies and I would take 10 more babies if I could. Aww. But my kids are always like, you don't have enough time for us. How are you going to have time for a baby? Um, do you feel like you're able to kind of set boundaries of when to turn work off and family on? Because I struggle with that. I get home. So I have a new rule when I get home from work. Um, I try to not walk in the door on my cell phone. So now I end up sitting in the car for an hour before I walk in the door, which is awful because my kids are at the window tapping. So that strategy hasn't worked really well for me. But do you feel like you're able to kind of turn it off, turn absolutely it on? Absolutely not. It's hard, right? No, absolutely not, unfortunately. And I actually put even a time, what is that, like time limit on your phone? It doesn't work. That's how I feel. I mean, I can't be, like my team can't be at my office working late and I'm just like off with, you know, it's not fair to them that they're all sitting waiting for an answer from me. So it's awful. 
So I, I'm happy to hear that other people deal with this no, as well. I, unfortunately, I wish there was a easy solve, but I don't know that there is. It's you know, hard. Somebody asked me last night, how it's do you part do of everything? The job. I'm like, you just sleep less. Choices. We all make choices. Awesome. Okay. So now I think we've talked about everything up until um, DVF. So you've been there a little bit over a year. Tell us about some of your successes thus far. Wow. Well, I think that there it's such an exciting time for DVF as a brand. And as I mentioned before, I came in to turn the business around. And Diane would say, and she says and talks about the stories of having different stages of DVF as a brand and the first time that she was here as the American dream and she created this whole brand and then she sold the company and the second time was the comeback kid and now it's like the third time of reinventing and we've been able to you know we had some strategies we put into place we we've really gone back to look at what is the brand what do we stand for what do we need to do what do we need to do how do we apply into every single aspect of our business and we've implemented some strategies that we actually just started seeing the results to starting the beginning of this year so we're seeing very strong and that goes into from the very beginning where we have there's a wholesale retail mentality where we had a very structured business that was for wholesale predominantly and everything that we did was about wholesale um, going to market and everything in terms of how we analyze businesses it was all like very wholesale oriented so one big thing that we've done is change to be thinking about the consumer and really focus on the retail aspect focus on direct to consumer and and if she's coming into our stores and she's on our our site what are we messaging to her how are we speaking to her what are we doing to communicate with her what's the product we're giving her what's the lifestyle that she leads all of that so we've focused on and really, number one, first and foremost, making it more consumer-centric and thinking about it from a retail perspective. And with all of that, we are seeing the results. People are coming back to the stores. We are regaining and recapturing customers that have walked away that have been lapsed customers. Yes. We are retaining the customers who are loyal, DBF loyalists. And we're converting some new customers Customers who are like, oh, I didn't know that was DBF. Right. And now we have a new brand that we launched with Brianna's help. TVF. With TVF. Beautiful. And so that's an entirely new demographic, a new age group of younger girls who, you know, this was very, very special for Talita and very special for the company and the brand because she is the next generation of DVF. She is the next generation of this family that's going to take over this business. So giving her this opportunity to be able to put this product line together and to, from beginning to end, it, it you know, Diane said the other day, so I'm not going to say it for us, but she said it we executed it flawlessly and that was because we had time we planned it we did as a team it was 360 all the way around and it's been very successful seems like such a smart move i mean first of all the line is beautiful so it's really it feels like it's going to be very special yeah and it's it's very much it's very her and she is diane she is literally she was we had a pop-up store in la last weekend and she was there for hours selling her product just curious um in la on melrose oh yeah so she was there she was selling she was getting people in the fitting room she was taking pictures and i was like wow this is diane yeah she's it's amazing because she gets that you can tell that it's a passion for her beautiful which is cool it runs in the family and she owns it yeah it's really cool to see that especially in someone who's like very young it's like amazing to see them so like assured in their passion and sort of like driven by it it's really cool perfect Tell us in a couple words, what is your leadership style? How would you describe it? Empowering. Um, How does someone impress you? Focus. Passion. Perfect. Do you think that you have achieved success? Are you there yet? I'm just starting. I feel like I am literally just starting. Yeah. I love to hear that. Uh, What do you do for fun other than work? Like, what are some of your hobbies? Anything? (laughs) I don't have any hobbies, so except for work. So exercise? if you say nothing, then I get <laughs> exercise. Maybe so bad exercise, but I did just healthy lifestyle. Yeah, it, I focus on fitness. Um, I do like to cook, but I'm not able to do it as often as I would like. Um, but I am. We do have a farmhouse that I just purchased upstate nice. New York. Beautiful. So it's going to be a horse farm. It is a horse farm, actually, with rescue horses. So Beautiful. my new hobby is going to be a farmer. Awesome. Sounds like you have some awesome (laughs) hobbies. If you were not the CEO of a major global fashion brand and it was something totally different, what would you be doing? Mm, I would love to be in the movie industry. Like a movie star? No, like producing movies. Oh, interesting. I love movies. You'd be good at that. What keeps you up at night? (sighs) It's whatever's happened that has been the problem of the day. From my kids. Trying to like solve it. 
Yes, I'm trying to solve it. Yeah, I mean, not doing enough for my kids. Yeah. I think that keeps me up at night. And what is, what is the most challenging part of your job? People. <laughs> you know, people, I say a lot. I'm like, I'm ready if for we the robots. If we didn't have people, it'd be really easy, right? <laughs> I say this all the time. Managing people's expectations and, you know, how they see things and how they process your information is complicated. It is. It's yeah. complicated. I get and it. It's, you know, yeah, there's, it's people I'd say are the most complicated. Is Everyone there, receives things and receives information differently. Everyone learns from others in a company. Who is someone in a role or department you're learning from right now that really excites you? E-commerce. I think right now, because we're so focused on our e-commerce results, really looking at the data and the analysis and trying to understand more of the digital aspects in terms of our digital spend and where the, you know, where we're targeting and who's what the acquisition is. All of that is really interesting. And I think that's obviously the future as well. So I'm learning. I'm always learning with that, and I love that. What's something at work that takes you out of your comfort zone? I don't like attention. So I actually, that takes me out of my comfort well, zone. Well, congratulations for being here today. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of attention <laughs> after this. <laughs> no, I really, I it's don't good. like the attention. I'd like to be kind of behind the scenes. I do my job. I do my thing. But Too bad. But getting out there. <laughs> I know. And she really is pushing, not only me, but she's definitely pushing me to be out there as well. And obviously with the, the brand that, that we have and with her, it's very visible. So... I'm having to get out of my own comfort zone. All right, one last question. What is the one skill that you're best at? Like, what is your one superpower? I think my best skill is finding talent. That's a good one. It's important. You surround yourself with the right team. You're golden because you can't do everything. The best skill a leader could have. Wait, I had a question for you because something I'm always curious about is I find it really interesting that you haven't let go of any femininity to be in such a position of power and I want to know if that's a conscious choice not at all not conscious at all because I always think that's so interesting because a lot of women I've met who are like CEOs of companies or things like that it's like they've had to drop sort of a little bit of like femininity and you still seem like so feminine to me I love that I love that comment but like still being super powerful which I find really interesting no I love being feminine I also feel like it's maybe like a Texas thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. I mean, you know, in Texas, you know, I, when I was growing up, certainly I, I think it might be the same now, but you don't leave the house without makeup on and you don't leave without being perfectly put together. So that probably has a little bit to do with it. It's true. Not at all. Like growing up in the same. All right, guys. Well, I think I think we're done, Sandra. I just wanted hey. to thank you so much again for being thank here. You, I, I hope you realize how um, inspiring you are. I am super excited to put you in the spotlight because you're <laughs> you are wow. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That's so nice. Thank you. And Brianna, thank you for Thanks being for an awesome, me. awesome co-host. Thank you, Thanks Brianna. For me thank be you here. for doing this for me. I love it. Thank not you for, for asking me. For you. Awesome. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, you guys. I think that's a wrap for today. And great job. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you.